This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello and welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers and joining me as always is my friend, my co-host, my uh, confidant and as we roll into Easter, my fellow atheist. How are you, my friend? (laughs) You had to throw me under the bus right at the start. That's all right. Good, mate. Good. Leon Logan Nathan here, joining Peter Gowers. Mate, um, I don't know about you, but um, we've been all over the world in the last couple of weeks and I, without leaving our homes, mind you, and um, I'm just amazed at how when you crank it up a notch in terms of output, how much more comes back at you in terms of comment and uh, response to what we're doing. Really? Has there been a lot, has there? I haven't. Yeah. I can't say I've followed a lot of it. I know there's been a few things on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've just looked at, I guess, the pages that are connected to what we're doing and just the general banter. Um, yeah. And it's it's stepped up a notch. I mean, it makes sense. The more you put out, the more that comes back at you. But it's amazing to see it uh, firsthand. Yeah, well, we've had some absolutely fantastic people on the podcast uh, in the last little while. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you talked about Easter, going into Easter, and um, Easter is obviously a, a Christian religious holiday. Um, mm. And I must say, Pete, like from, uh, you know, after the podcast that we did yesterday with Ben, I, you know, I started to think about ScoMo. Uh, mm-hmm. And I started to think about how, you know, religion is a big deal for him. Yeah, he wears yep. his Christianity badge very proudly. Uh, and, mm. and, and, you know, good luck to him with that because it's a free country and uh, we have got religious freedom, which is a fantastic thing. Um, but I must say that I was troubled yesterday after, after our podcast with Ben. I was mm-hmm. troubled because I felt... That in this country, uh, which we say is uh, the lucky country, uh, which we say that we produce more food, uh, three times more food than we need, um, Mm. that, uh, you know, we've got all this land, we've got all these resources, uh, yet it appears that we have firmly slammed the door shut on one of our greatest exports Mm. in terms of helping them. Yeah, look, I must admit, this is something I have thought about and I can't remember, in fact, I can remember, it was when we spoke to Anka and Rachel last week and I said, I just couldn't understand or believe that we had New Zealanders living in this country who'd, who'd been here in some cases for decades who, because of their, um, I guess, visa status, were not eligible for support in this time. And then obviously talking to Ben, this has now come out in terms of international students. And the thing that I would say is that I would hope that this is something that will get looked at and amended and that it it, it can't be on purpose because, you know, as we've identified, there are, a group of people living in this country at the moment who have no work, they can't attend the 
places of learning that they came here to attend and as a result technically are unlawful because they can't actually carry out what they're here to do. I just cannot believe that they would be abandoned, although it does look like that at this stage. Well, I, I don't know that they're unlawful. I mean, they may very well be on a valid visa and, you know, there are obviously technical issues associated with all of that, which we discussed yesterday. But ScoMo did actually come out and say, and I heard it, um, overseas students need to go home. And, and how do they do that? Well, that's the thing. Who the heck knows? I don't know. Yep. You know, uh, and you know, even if there was a way for them to go home, um, yeah, uh, you know, the price of getting home, where does that yeah. come from? Yeah, I, I just, I, I found it particularly disturbing, given that we have a prime minister who, by you know, by his own admission, is a staunch Christian, and yeah. I would have thought. Uh, you know, if you're going to espouse, uh, you know, your Christianity and your Christian values, well, that your behaviour in relation to these people um, is inconsistent with what I understand Christianity to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to give him a, an out here, but do you think it could possibly be an oversight and he was put on the spot in a public situation and kind of just ran off at the mouth? I don't think so, mate. I don't think so. I hope I'm wrong about that. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I will certainly be banging the drum as an Australian citizen uh, yeah. that, uh, you know, if people are here in this country uh, and they've come here at our invitation yeah. and, uh, you know, and it, you know, not that this should be the, 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 uh, the reason, but, you know, it represents one of our largest exports yeah. Right. You just don't treat people like that, mate. It's just mm. not right. Anyway, uh, look to get on to sort of, I guess, uh, you know, a, a brighter page. Um, our special guest today, I believe you know who he is. I do indeed. And, um, we're, we're going to get technical now, which is something that's close to my heart, as you know, Leon, um, Let's welcome to the podcast, to this episode, Steve Roberts from One IT Services. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Leon. So you're not the first person from One IT Services to have joined us on this podcast, are you, Steve? No, I'm not. <laughs> no, not by a long shot. And, and why, why is that? What, what happened? <laughs> uh, you never invited me. I don't think I've ever been seen as important enough. <laughs> <laughs> so for the for the listeners that are listening to Steve's um, Beatles uh, accent there, which I yeah, must, uh, <laughs> that, was, that was that was very strong. There was a real John Paul and Ringo in that. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to keep that to myself. Why don't you uh, Why don't you tell us? Uh, give us uh, Give us your history, um, Steve, all the way back to where you were born, so we can look it up on a map. Well, at least I can. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know how much information I can give you. That would be a security breach. I think. Um, so I, uh, I uh, did the usual English backpacker uh, trek around half of the but where, country. But where, where were you uh, born, Steve? Where were you born? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I came over from uh, near Liverpool, not quite Liverpool. Uh, it's a little place called the Wirral, um, and specifically from a little town called Bromborough. 
and um, I uh, did some some years of university in Sheffield. Um, so uh, back in the uh, in, on the Wirral, we uh, as some people probably know that people from Liverpool are called Scousers. Um, well, the Wirral is the peninsula that sticks out between uh, Liverpool and Wales. So we have a river either side of us. Uh, we have the, there's Liverpool, the River Mersey, the Wirral, then the River Dee, and then the uh, the hills of North Wales. Uh, and so because uh, Wales is known for its uh, abundance of uh, sheep, <laughs> us on the Wirral are known as the Woollybacks. <laughs> so, by, by the Scousers. It could have been uh, a lot worse, Welsh. Steve. It could have been a lot worse. <laughs> well, you haven't heard what the Welsh call us yet. <laughs> uh, so the Welsh, uh, because um, nobody knows where the Wirral is, uh, we uh, we tend to get uh, we, we tend to refer to ourselves as Scousers when we're away from the Wirral. So the Welsh know this, and they call us the Plastic Scousers because we're uh, oh, wow. we're the fake Scousers. We're not we're not quite Scouse. We're not quite Welsh. So uh, yeah, we're somewhere mm. in between. As to how I ended up sounding like Ringo, I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I'm actually looking um, this up now. Wirral Peninsula. Is that is that where you're saying it is? Yes. Yeah, the Wirral. Uh, the the Wirral. And then, uh, yeah. And after four years of university at uh, Sheffield, I um, I was going to actually join the army, um, and uh, I thought I'd go in with a, a degree in IT, um, specialised in communications. And uh, I thought, what better way to see the world um, prior to 9-11 um, than to join the army and uh, you know, give back to a country that had given me a, a reasonably good education. I say reasonably good because uh, most of my uh, university time was not spent in classrooms. It was spent in uh, a uh, pub called the Port of Brook, not far from where I lived. So, um, <laughs> uh, the uh, and then a friend of mine um, phoned me and he said, "You fancy going to Australia?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, sure." For how long? Thinking, yeah, a holiday uh, before I sort of went and signed up for the army. And uh, and he said, "A year." Uh, well, I don't see why not. I'm sure the army can wait. Um, and uh, a few months later, we uh, we arrived in Sydney, uh, meant to have. And we organized to meet a friend of mine from university who was already in Sydney. Uh, and we landed at the airport, waited around for a couple of hours. Nobody was there. And finally, <laughs> discovered that uh, he decided that it was just too early in the morning and he stayed in bed at the hostel. So we, just, we jumped in a cab. It took us to King's Cross and said, that's a hostel over there. Um, and that's where I stayed for the next three months while I worked for uh, Compaq in, uh, in uh, Concord West. Oh, wow. um, and uh, once I'd saved up nowhere near enough money, I thought uh, I'd saved up a lot of money, but I was still thinking in English pounds, and it turns out that $1,700 was not enough to get up the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> even, yeah. even 20 years ago, it wasn't enough to get up the East Coast. Um, but we jumped in our 1976 Ford Falcon XB, I think it was, uh, and we made our way up to Cairns where... Um, I arrived with $90 in my pocket and went to work on the uh, farms as a backpacker around uh, the Afton Tablelands um, uh. and uh, saved up uh, some cash, made my way to the middle, did uh, sort of uh, you know, Alice Springs, um, went out to Uluru, um, and then um, I was in the middle of the country with nowhere to go and no one around me, so I decided to jump on a, a coach up to Darwin because it was cheap. and. Um, Started working in a, a pub because I spent most of my money uh, saved up once I straight away when I got to Darwin, and uh, that's where I met my 
uh, now wife and mother of three children, um, and we're, we're still together 20 years later. So, um, so Lisa's then, a Darwin uh, girl? She is, born and bred. Yeah, wow, her parents okay. are wow. uh, Melbourne. Uh, they're originally Melbourne. They came up here for a holiday in a caravan, bought a block of land, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, never left. The age-old story of how people arrive in Darwin. Mm. So, uh, but yes, yeah, Lisa's born and bred, as are all of my kids now. So, uh, yeah. Rob, so, you're the only you're the only outsider with an accent in the family, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even the dogs bark with an Australian accent. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I'm definitely the outsider. Uh, right, right. So, um, look, uh, I, I got the map up here, and I can see. Look, you, you, you were basically in Liverpool, weren't you? I mean, it's so close. I mean. What do we get? 20, 30 mm. Well, it's a twenty. Bromborough is a twenty-minute train journey to Liverpool, and a twenty-minute train journey to Chester. A little bit further than Chester, you're in North Wales, so it's a really good central location um, uh, that uh, you jump on the train and um, you know, I think maybe about an hour. You're in Manchester. Yes. Hour and forty minutes. I was in Sheffield, so um, and that's mm. where I went to uni. So it's a really good central part of the the country. You're still on the coast. Um, you've got some absolute beautiful scenery around uh, the Wirral and uh, Wales. And it's actually, um, now I won't go too much into detail on this because I'm no historian, but uh, the Wirral was actually, I believe, the location of the biggest um, battle in the uh, Roman uh, uh, times during the UK. So there was a, a large battle. Wow. So there's lots of history around sort of um, Roman artifacts, lots of um, lots of excavations and um, and of leftovers from that era so there's a lot of history around the area and i took it for granted while i was there it's only when i go back and i point it out to my kids that it really uh, really becomes quite fascinating that uh, you know being from the uk history is everywhere and nobody really looks at it it's only when yeah. you leave and go back and you think wow it's it's really really quite a special place um so we do love going home there's not much chance of us going home for when we going home for uh, uh for the foreseeable future but uh Thanks to technology, we can still uh, stay in touch and see each other uh, as a family. Yeah. So it, I was just going to say it's important for me to ask this question, Steve, just so we get off on the right foot. Um, are you are you from the red part or the blue part? Of <laughs> oh, that's a very, it's a very uh, sensitive question, that, probably the most loaded question you'd ask me tonight. Uh, and I... As my granddad would always say, his blood was never blue. It was always red. Right. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. Admittedly, I'm not the biggest, uh, I'll, I'll say, soccer fan in the world. I find it harder mm -hmm. to uh, to follow soccer since uh, I moved over here. But uh, yes, I still um, I still try to catch the odd game every now and again. And uh, yeah, it's it's good to go back. I still uh, a few years ago when I went back, I managed to get in. Uh, actually, bumped into uh, a, a lady I knew. Uh, in college and turns out she actually married one of my best friends and I had no idea and uh, she put us back in touch and all my school friends all stayed uh, stayed in touch and uh, managed to meet up with all of them so now every time I go back and meet up with them and uh, they're a really good bunch and they're, they're all soccer mad so mm -hmm. I'm very much on the outside of that I think I'm the only Liverpool supporter there so uh, <laughs> yes I, I tend to stay as quiet as possible. <laughs> And look, looking a bit more at this geography, have you been to a place called Shrewsbury? Shrewsbury, yes. Yeah, my parents actually had a, a, a caravan or sort of a, a holiday home there. Um, it's a beautiful area of the country. Uh, Shrewsbury, Oswestry really follows the Welsh border down, 
you, you, the, the main road to get to Shrewsbury, I think, overlaps the goes in in and out of England and Wales the whole way down. Uh, do you yeah, uh, really beautiful area, Pete? Do you do you remember Shrewsbury? Is this from a movie or something I should know about? No, it's from a podcast episode that you should know about. <laughs> oh, from um, old mate from Paramore. No, Sarah oh, Roberts. Sarah oh, Roberts. Oh yes, of course, of course. Who who has <laughs> almost an identical story to to uh, Steve? Almost yes, except. Um, the only difference being that her car actually didn't start most of the time going up the, uh, <laughs> the Stuart <center>. Highway. <laughs> it sounds like Steve uh, had some, it- some vehicles that actually were fine to drive. Well, he was sensible uh, and took the bus. Yes, yes. Do, do you oh, know? No, the, uh, the Ford, Ford Falcon, we had a faulty distributor cap, which thankfully the friend I was <laughs> travelling with is a bit of a mechanic, and he managed to fix it with a knife and fork repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it would be like British to actually fix something with a knife and fork, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it hey, the other thing that I find... We had a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah that's We had it. a cup of tea. We had a, we had a chat about it. We decided <laughs> a knife and fork was the best way to go. <laughs> so the other thing I noticed about, uh, about your geography here is, is that there appears to be a ferry service all the way to Dublin. Did you ever take that? Yeah, yeah, Liverpool. There's one that goes from Liverpool uh, and also from the Wirral itself, from uh, Wallasey, right. which is where my um, my granddad was actually um, uh, Swedish and uh, lived in Plymouth on the south coast and went into uh, the Naval Academy at Wallasey when I think he was 14, um, and then I went. He went. He went. He was in the Merchant Navy during World War II um, and uh, did the um, uh, Liverpool to Minsk. Uh, journey, which I believe was known as the suicide run during World War Two, and he did wow. that a number of times, um, and ended up working on the docks. Uh, he was the uh, the dock stores master in the docks uh, straight after the war, um, where I think most of what was traded was uh, whiskey and not of the paid for kind. So um, there's, a, there's a very rich history around that Liverpool dock area and uh, Wallasey and the. Yeah, that, that ferry that goes across to uh, Ireland. I've actually only ever been to Ireland uh, once, um, and it was on that ferry, and it was horrendous. It was an awful journey. So, <laughs> next time we'll fly and hire a car. It's pretty, pretty choppy. That North Sea is pretty choppy. And the kids enjoy going back to the UK? Oh, very much, yeah. We try to keep them in touch with their cousins as much as possible. My sister uh, and her kids and, and my brother-in-law live in Sheffield. So my sister went to university in Sheffield as well and uh, just never left. Um, right. And so my uh, my three kids, well, my sister's got two kids and my two eldest are girls and my sisters are girls and they're all born sort of within about six months of each other right. uh, or six mm-hmm. months uh, between each other. So uh, they're a very similar age and they get on really well. Um, the kids have got an iPad each and they talk. Uh, all the time um, and, and uh, it's really good to see that they stay in touch and my sis was actually meant to be coming over for the only the second time in uh, 18 years uh, first time was my wedding um, and she hasn't been over here since and she was meant to be coming over here booked the tickets everything's all set we've got the camping trips organized the trips away so they can see the territory we're keeping within the territory uh, because that's where I want so there's so much to the territory that a lot of people don't see they fly in they see Darwin they maybe go to Catherine, um, they do a little bit of Litchfield, a little bit of Kakadu, and then they fly out. 
to to wherever around the country and we said no we're, we're going to keep this um territory uh and just, there's so much to see um and then uh, of course they had to go and cancel the whole trip so oh, it's uh it's, it's um it's not great but uh you know we all agreed that um we're not the worst impacted people in the world so yeah. it's uh it's disappointing but it's a, a small sacrifice considering uh, what the rest of the world is going through yeah mm. And so after pulling beers and meeting Lisa, um, how did you sort of drift into, well, you obviously had a degree in IT, didn't you? So, Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, th- thanks to a bit of hard work in my fourth year, um, <laughs> my first and third years were anything to go by, it wasn't looking good. Um, but I actually finished with, uh, yeah, with a decent, uh, decent grade and in a good, what turns out to be a really good industry, really healthy industry, which seems to survive a lot of challenges. Um, but I, uh, yeah, uh, met Lisa working at a pub, uh, and after about three months of knowing each other, my visa ran out. Um, and because the, uh, the world cup was on in Japan at the time, I had to fly oh, yes. back about uh, three weeks early, um, yes. because I was flying with Japan air. And, um, so I, uh, I left the, uh, the UK, uh, Lisa, um, came over to the UK about six months later. Uh, she spent 12 months in the UK, unable to work because she was. Uh, we had to leave. We went to Cyprus, Egypt, and did a little bit of travelling to get out of the country. So, come back in on another visitor's visa, and uh, eventually, she left to come back to Darwin to um, to, to pick up where she left off on her uh, business degree at CDU. Um, so we knew each other for three months. We had six months apart. 12 months together, then another six months apart. And then I turned up in Darwin with about $200 in my pocket. Again. And um, <laughs> fortunately, I was able to stay with leases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was almost as much as I left Sydney to go up the East Coast with. So I was, I was sitting pretty for a while there. Uh, but uh, yeah, and, and uh, that's where it really started. And I, I didn't have any idea of what the job market was like in Darwin. I assumed it was very similar uh, to the UK that. Uh, a lot of people uh, apply for good positions and you've got to really work hard to get them and what I actually got was an interview on my first day after arriving here and I went in and um, I remember Andrew Boller one of the owners of CSG at the time he said yep uh, I think we've got something for you Um, can you start tomorrow (laughs) so okay Um, that was a bit of a surprise but okay I better go out and buy some trousers Uh, and uh, working from there and then uh, it sort of moved between IT companies in Darwin and I think Looking back, it was a very fortunate period to be in the IT industry, particularly in Darwin, because there's a lot of um, key people in the industry now uh, that have um, stayed in those career paths that they were in, that I, I sort of exited from. But having those contacts in those positions has really helped us a lot. To uh, So we're going in, people knowing that we're trustworthy and we do good quality work and with a reputation before we really even start the conversation. So... It was a very fortunate time uh, around the time that um, uh, Fuji Xerox, uh, they, um, sorry, it wasn't Fuji Xerox, it was, it was Fujitsu. They, um, they won the um, government support contract with CSG as a partner. So I ended up in the, uh, the server management component or team of that and um, uh, managed to, uh, to uh, decide to um, exit that after uh, about two years and start my own business. And, um, that didn't go so well. Uh, differences with business partners uh, or business partner. Uh, and out of that went straight into another business. And again, that failed uh, because of difficulties with business partners. And um, we, Lisa and I 
sat down one night when that all kind of came to a head and we uh, we had a bottle of wine and said what are we going to do are we going to I can go back and get a job or I can um, or we can look to start our own business do it by ourselves stand on our own two feet and you know, I don't feel that we've had a good fair shot at being business owners um, because uh, and I'm not not attributing blame uh, to anybody that's not my intention but partnerships are difficult things to to make work I think both personally and in business and um, uh, I was probably quite uh, young um, and inexperienced and um, uh, a, a lot of it uh, backfired so we left I left my, my life on previous business with nothing at all and went into quite a lot of debt um, uh, trying to build the, the business up and managed to uh, attract some really good employees um, and um, and still have um, all but one of those employees now um, nearly uh, nearly eight years later so um, they're very fortunate that uh, you know, hard work and uh, and honesty and, and the trust that those uh, employees placed in me to to uh, to build the business and really uh, go with the uh, a lot in a lot of cases gut instinct. Um, I think that, that stands for a lot in business. Um, I didn't know I had it at the time. I felt like it was probably a bit of a gamble every day. But uh, looking back, I think there was some some really um, good decisions made. Um, and having the support of Lisa there, of course, was. Uh, she's very level-headed and um, very, very uh, sort of emotionally stable person. So even though it was a very stressful time for us, we were able to make some good decisions and and work together on it. And she works in the business now. She's uh, she's very central to the business and a, a big sort of coordinator of the finances and the, the roles that people play in the business. So we work as a good team, and I think uh, not not easy husband and wife working in the same company, but uh, we make it work. Um, and so she she's and, uh, got and a degree in business. She does, yes. Right. So she does the yeah. books. Um, she no. <laughs> uh, the the degree in business is um, uh, is probably a little bit wasted with what she's doing. She's she's Lisa's very much a a, a a very positive people person, whereas I tend to be very practically. Well, I believe I'm told. I think I'm perfect, but I'm told <laughs> that I'm, uh, I'm sometimes not. Um, and uh, Lisa. Um, is very good at engaging with the employees and uh, when I say employees I mean they're, they're, they're team members some of them are family to us um, and she's very good at get, getting in with the gossip and finding out what's going on and, <laughs> and I think I think she she, she prevents us <laughs> she, she, she asks me what's going on with the, with the employees I, I have absolutely no idea but what she does do what is very positive is she bridges that gap to prevent us having, uh, you know, an, an us and them type mentality, where we've had the new staff, we've gone from, uh, you know, uh, just myself and Lisa, uh, and uh, within a few days we had two employees, and then a week later we had four, and then here we are, uh, eight years later, and we've got uh, seventeen or eighteen, and it's it's very hard to maintain a relationship with each of those that. Um, and I'm sure, Leon, you would have probably seen this as well, that it's very difficult to um, to maintain a relationship where you're friendly and you, you want to show that you value the person without being too friendly. Um, you have to, I think, you know, that, that the age-old advice of you have to maintain distance, but you really want to be engaged with them and get to know them, make sure they're comfortable and happy. And you know, that, But at the same time, you've got to take a step back. I've made the mistake of getting involved in private lives before, thinking I was helping and actually taking the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, and so you learn a lot along the way. 
Okay. So you've is got it, about what, 18, 18 employees, did you say, roughly? Give or take. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's 18. Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, slightly less than that. Uh, we did have, uh, we had a few employees for the first time ever leave us uh, around just, just before and just, just after Christmas uh, last year, which was, uh, was devastating, really. It was the first employees that ever, ever left because they were, uh, for any reason other than they were moving into state or moving overseas or um, you know, their partner was leaving and they were following them and um, you know, so so it, it was it was it was in for the first time in nearly eight years of running the business uh, we hadn't we had someone leave because they found a better option um, mm. they're all legitimate reasons for leaving there's someone uh, it, was, it was a mixture of things but it's uh, opportunities came up in in other in bigger IT companies, so they didn't go to any of our competitors. Everybody that we lost during that period actually went to one of our partner companies that we do a lot of work with. Uh, right. uh, so so it's good that we stay in the mix. I mean, I'd, I'd prefer to have kept them, but if they were going to go anywhere, I'm glad that they benefited one of our partners as opposed to one of our competitors. So yeah. it's it really worked out for the best, and people move on. Uh, and that's uh, you know, a sad reality, but uh, we're still very strong. We got some really good. Uh, new additions to the team, and uh, they've really proven themselves recently with the changes that we've been uh, uh, trying to adapt to. And um, the staff are working unbelievably hard um, and really wanting to see the, the business succeed, not just under normal circumstances, but succeed and actually be able to, to pass on a little bit of the uh, of, of uh, the benefits that we uh, are seeing during this time. Uh, difficulties as well as benefits but where we feel benefits i don't want to be the only business in town that comes out the other end uh has been able to capitalize on this uh, situation that we're in now i want to be able to say well if we're making money we're keeping our head above water and we're okay then let's get a gardener in let's get um, somebody to come in uh, you know, uh, as much as we can just try and employ um, sole traders, small businesses, uh, bring temporary staff in to help us do the big projects that we've got coming up, uh, and try try and just sort of share that out a little bit and um, give back a little bit. We, we don't, I, I don't, uh, as much as I, I like uh, succeeding both in business and financially, I certainly don't want to be, uh, I don't, don't want to be seen as one of the few people who have done well out of this scenario. And let's face it, if we're in an industry that's going to do well out of something like this, we should take advantage of it but use that advantage to benefit everybody else and pa- pass it on so that um, it, uh, we actually, it builds the relationship with our clients and um, and hopefully it attracts more people to our business as well and um, it certainly makes the staff feel good about being in a business that cares a bit more than just just about you know, the, the bottom line at the end of the day. So, it's, um, yeah. How many years have you been operating, Steve? Uh, eight, nearly eight. Wow. In this business. Uh- well, wow, and, you, and you've only had your first turnover of staff just a few months ago. Mm, yeah, yeah, November yeah. last year. Yeah. Gee. So it's, we've done really well. Um, I think yeah. it's, uh, I don't know what the secret is, if you're going to ask me that. Um, I don't know. Uh, mm. I, I think it's, uh, there's a lot of factors, and I think probably one of the biggest ones is genuinely uh, valuing the, uh, the, the staff, the employees, and, and treating them as, as though they are valued in the business, giving uh, constructive criticism when they may have uh, not acted in the, the either their own or the business's best interests, but being realistic about it. I've never handed out a, a written warning or a, a verbal warning or anything. We have a conversation because I'm dealing with intelligent adults. That's why we employed them. If I can't resolve it with a conversation, then maybe they're not the right person for the business. And so we, 
applying that, we end up with a really uh, good group of professional, um, skilled, very smart, um, uh, very dedicated individuals. And, and I think when people are also our interview process is very thorough. Our, our first interview is two and a half hours at least. Um, wow. And and so when people get through that, I think that gives them a sense that, well, if if this business is so picky about who comes in, I'm going to be working with good people. And I mm-hmm. think that it builds a really strong team because there's um, everybody knows that everybody else is there for uh, the health of the business. If the business is doing well, then everybody's doing well and everybody understands that and works together. So they have got some really excellent staff that uh, you know, will move on one day probably. But uh, uh, I did have uh, somebody from uh, the company that two of my staff, two of my former staff left and went to. Uh, had a phone call from him to say, um, you know, really sorry about how it worked out, but you know, they are the best people for the positions. But we, we just, we're all baffled. We don't understand how you keep um, producing people of this quality. I said, well, it's purely down to investment. We're small enough to still invest where it's valuable as opposed to just send somebody on a training course and tick a box to say they've done it. Yes, that's valuable, but we throw them in the deep end. It's often referred to as the baptism of fire. It's, you know, there's your desk, there's your computer, use the people around you, and here's all of the tools and the information, the client databases, um, and ask questions. You know, there's no stupid questions, and, uh, and it really... We've had multiple engineers over the years that have come in to the interview feeling like they're confident and they leave feeling like they've just been um, sheared by a sheep shearer and uh, hung out to dry and have you know, feel as though they, they know absolutely nothing. And then when they start in the position, they feel like they know even less um, mm-hmm. because the nature of an MSP, a managed service provider, is that we see every piece of a business or the IT infrastructure uh, from end to end it's uh, an engineer has to be able to resolve a problem on a mobile phone as much as they need to be able to program a layer three switch uh, or build a new server or at three o'clock in the morning when that server's not working, they have to know how to re- rebuild those disks or that array that has all the client's data on. Um, so yeah, we, we really put them through the paces and uh, and after a few years of working in this space, they're, um, they're exceptional engineers. Mm. So, so what percentage of your work is um, switch it off and switch it back on again? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, fortunately, through our uh, tr- cybersecurity training sessions, we have been able to uh, teach some of our clients to do that before they call us. And uh, <laughs> it, it, it still happens, but it happens yeah. less frequently than uh, yeah, we we, we still do have a lot of different situations. Um, yeah, I'm sure everybody has heard the stories of when people call up for assistance and uh, I'll try not to name any names, but we had one only this week and, uh, with an engineer that you're very familiar with, that Leon uh, Ben, he was uh, on the phone to a client and I'm fairly sure this client's not going to listen to this podcast, but I'll keep it anyway. <laughs> um, trying to um, explain to him how to log in to his email now that it's in Office 365. So guided him through getting to the portal uh, and spent over an hour very patiently trying to get this user to type in a username and a password that he was verbally telling him over the phone. In the end, when it worked, uh, what we were able to uh, discover was that the user had been typing the password correctly the whole time. Um, they'd actually been misspelling their own name. 
<laughs> and his, his, his name is not exactly complicated. His name's Bill. <laughs> it, it was, was being it the, spelled. The double L through? Uh, no, it was, it was far more complex than that. Uh, he was actually spelling it Dill. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we were Jeepers. we were sort of hoping that he's um, it uh, there might be some medical reason why he got that wrong because um, <laughs> over an hour of engineer's time, which we very reluctant to bill for oh under the gosh. circumstances. Yeah. Um, but we still get these uh, we still get these laughs. In fact, it was one of your uh, staff many years ago, Leon, who uh, uh, asked me. Um, he'd done some work when he'd uh, he just got off a plane, got to his house. So you probably know who it is. Um, and uh, <laughs> sat down, turned his laptop on, sat down, head down, focused, blinkers on, and started typing everything they'd been thinking about on the plane. And then realized he hadn't plugged his USB keyboard in. Oh, dear. And so phoned me and said, um, if I plug this keyboard in now, <laughs> will all of the words appear on the screen? <laughs> I had yeah. to say... Um, it's <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> maybe, in a, maybe in an alternative universe, it might happen. <laughs> yeah, yes. So yeah, so I spent the next five years trying to invent that keyboard. Work. So oh, we, we found we had to have a laptop plugged into it. So, yes, lots it of stories. It reminds me of a story that um, that uh, one of my partners said told, told us about. Uh, you know, when when computers first came in, and you know, law firms were getting you know, obviously, uh, you know probably the last uh, the last bastion of 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 users of computers and anyway uh, so all the secretarial staff were sent to um uh, somewhere in darwin uh, probably perhaps the darwin computer academy for training on how to use um windows and so apparently as the story goes one lady was there and um and the instruction was okay now you can see the cursor on the screen uh you've got a mouse there uh, use your mouse to move the cursor. So this lady picks up the mouse and puts it on the screen trying to move that <laughs> cursor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very similar to how my kids sit down at a laptop that has a mouse next to it or even the TV and try and swipe the screen. <laughs> oh, you know, gosh. That's yeah, what yeah. they're used to. They, they, yeah, they yeah. Don't, just don't use a mouse. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yes, there's lo lots of different walks of life. You see it all in IT. Yeah. So, um, so you, are you, are you said that you'd been in uh, business for eight years. How long have we been clients of yours? Ten years. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. So you're actually a client in the, in the previous business. And, right, right. Um, thankfully, uh, you were one of the clients who uh, approached us afterwards uh, as, it, as all the issues were coming out that uh, um, one of your, uh, your ex-practice manager actually approached us and said, look, all of the knowledge um, and all of the experiences with you, what are you doing? And I said, well, look, you know, I've got to be very careful. I, I'm not, I can't solicit business out of the old business mm. of what I've just come from. And uh, very fortunate circumstances, the, the contract that, we, that uh, you were on was, uh, had expired. Uh, it was on a month-by-month -month contract at the time. And so it was um, thankfully quite a simple transition. And we just literally picked up where we left off and um, had the challenge of having staff 
with uh, with clients and um, having never sent an invoice out. So when we did start sending invoices out, it takes a while for that sort of uh, you know, snowball to start rolling. And um, that's how we ended up in quite a lot of debt uh, to begin with when we were sort of starting, the, starting out. And we had the workload and we had the engineers. We just didn't have the, the cash flow. And so uh, we literally, the old story of people who you know, put, put literally their life savings, of which we had very little, and every every dollar we could scrounge from anywhere pulled together, just having that sort of blind faith in ourselves to pull it together. And um, thankfully, here we are. I think we're very, if it's not 10 years, it's very close to 10 years um, further on. And um, you know, you're, you're one of, if not our strongest client with, um, and I feel, um, and maybe this is the opportunity for you to tell me otherwise, but I feel that you have complete <laughs> trust in us. Um, you know, when we when we advise uh, on, uh, say, a security issue or security prevention, um, you're one of the very few clients who says, "Look, if, if that's what your advice is, then let's do it." And I think the uh, the the very strong evidence is there to um, to show that investment in infrastructure and security pays off because. The, the very few breaches that we've together have investigated or been involved in have always been proven not to be breaches of Ward Keller infrastructure. Uh, and, and so it's, um, and I think you know, it, it's, uh, I, I'd, I'd like to say that it's all down to us, but we, we can apply the same uh, principles and um, advice to lots of clients who will look at the dollars of what that security, what those precautions cost. And choose not to do it because they equate it to something else that they can buy that to them is worth more. Uh, we've had clients say, "But that's that's the same amount. I could I could um, pay off a car loan with that amount per month." They say, "Yes, but a car loan, a car is not going to restore your business when it all collapses because of a virus or your backups haven't been working." So, we a, a, a large proportion of my job these days is is convincing clients that that data is valuable. And that um, nobody else is going to secure that data for you. You have to go out and, and do it yourself. Now, you can do a lot with the very basics that are around. But only in this past week alone, um, we've had a client that's lost over $50,000. Um, and uh, that's gone. Mm -hmm. they, they'll, they won't get that back. Fortunately, they're a client that can, uh, not, not happily, but it's, it's not going to be the, the final uh, word for that client they've got lots of work on there they're doing very well so uh, very grateful that it hasn't caused them a lot of impact but it's still over fifty thousand dollars for a small business um and uh, and again just even it was today that we discovered that the attack that we thought we had um stopped on that account uh, was actually still going um even though we prevented access the damage that the attacker had done while they were in there was still um, forwarding information out of this email account to, um, and so it, it meant that the attacker could continue attacking that client, even though they didn't have access to uh, any of their infrastructure anymore. So um, it's, it's uh, a lot of uh, investigations required, and it's sometimes very difficult to find these things. Uh, and when you think you found it, what you found is the decoy, uh, and so you just you just have to keep on going and going until you're really confident uh, that you've done the right thing. But uh, yeah, security more, now more than ever has uh, is it, a real minefield um, for clients who have all moved to working from home. And uh, I think a lot of people would have read the headlines recently that uh, now that people are working from home, this change in in uh, in style of working and change in discipline mm. 
uh, is really opening up some significant security holes that we, uh, we're having to work hard to plug. So how are you sorting that out? Uh, case by case. Um, we're doing a lot more uh, broadcasting of information to clients, so a lot more emailing to say, you know, don't ignore this. Um, this is a real issue. Don't, don't ever pay an invoice where the email that has the invoice on says, please uh, pay into our subsidiary account because we've had an issue with our main account. There's, there's lots and lots of key indicators that only the uh, trained eye can really pick up on. And uh, we, we've, in our cybersecurity training with many clients, including Ward Keller, we've demonstrated uh, malicious emails uh, and even, even the ones that have actually attacked Ward Keller and have been detected and we use them as an example. People will sit there and say, you're telling me that's a malicious email, but I would have fallen for that. Even mm. though I know it's malicious, it still looks genuine. I think I would have, I would have done what I was asked in that uh, email. And so we, our cybersecurity training focuses not just on the tools and the platforms that are available to provide that security, but what that last line of defense can do, and that is the people. You need people to say, that's just not right. It doesn't feel right. That person don't, doesn't normally email me about that. Uh, I've never had an email from them or they normally email from MYOB. Why has it come from zero or the other way around? Mm. Anything that's just not quite right. And, and the, the big, and if, if any, anybody listening to this, the biggest piece of advice I can give in all of the world of cybersecurity and um, protecting data is you have to ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen by me not doing what I'm asked to do here. Mm. You have an email that says, open this, do this, follow this link, uh, and people fall for it. Some people will afterwards say, I, I kind of knew it was wrong. I, I knew it didn't feel right, but I, you know, I did anyway. You say, right, next time ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen by not doing it? Well, if it's a genuine invoice that's come through, that supplier is going to chase you and say, you haven't paid our invoice, and you say, right, now you've chased me. I've got you on the phone. I can verify who you are. Uh, is this your bank account? Yes. Okay, we'll go ahead and pay the invoice and everyone's happy. The the alternative is that it's a malicious email and you've gone ahead. By not clicking on it, you've solved the problem. There's no follow-up. Report that email to your IT company and they'll take care of it. So hopefully you don't get them again. Uh, but by clicking on it, you could potentially stop that business from working almost instantly. Uh, and the damage that that can do to a company that doesn't have a good uh, BCDR or uh, business continuity disaster recovery solution in place, it can be devastating. And even if you do get the data back, you're then in the position of, um, is the data still infected? Will this infection come back and, and challenge us again? Um, have we lost any data? Do we now have to go to uh, the, uh, the federal departments to report this data breach that we, we feel that maybe we've lost uh, sensitive client information? What, what does that do to the reputation of the company? Um, and, and so the prevention is the best um, solution to this. And, and what, what we also see is that backups uh, of data, we can't restore money back into your account. Nobody can do that. The bank won't do it because well, for many reasons. Uh, insurance mm. won't cover it because uh, I've had it put to me uh, in a very blunt term is that the, the insurance, even cyber liability insurance, if you've transferred the money to the wrong account, the insurance uh, underwriters or the insurance companies will not insure stupidity. Sure. Uh, and they say, if you haven't crossed your T's and dropped, dotted your I's and verified that that's the right address, or you were just told that it was a new bank account and just went and did it, 
Mm. Why should we insure that? Why should we pay you that seventy, hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars back? And they're mm-hmm. big sums of money because their transactions worth interfering with. That's what these hackers go for. They want big money. They're not going to stick their neck out for ten thousand dollars. They go for fifties, hundreds, more than that. Uh, and unfortunately, mm. that's the biggest impact to that client. So, you know, the um, that uh, you know, ask yourself, what's the worst that can can happen by not clicking on this? Uh, and if you can't 100% convince yourself that it's better to click on it than it is to not click on it, then don't do it. Just hold back. You'll all, it'll all come out in the wash after that, and hopefully you'll still have all the money, the company's money in the bank account. So uh, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard lesson to learn to, to learn for, for a lot of businesses, and um, usually it's a lesson that's only learned once, but not always, which is <laughs> uh, unfortunate. But mm. these, uh, these scams are getting – people say these scams are getting more – uh, complicated and sophisticated in actual fact they're getting simpler and that's why they're so hard to detect is it's very easy to think of a hacker as a super intelligent person that's IT genius somewhere in the background but it's actually someone coming up with a concept that is just fooling somebody else via email mm. so very hard to detect very sometimes very hard to identify and um, but the recovery is far harder so uh, you know all, all important words of wisdom from ye old me. <laughs> I'd just like to add to that as well that um, if anybody listening does uh, receive an email from a Nigerian prince, uh, chances are they really don't want to put their money in your bank account for a 10% cut. Mm. But amazing how many people still fall for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people in business these days don't fall for that type of scam. But there are plenty that still do, um, mm. you know, particularly the, uh, the the private users who don't have access to cybersecurity training through their employer. Uh, it's a it's a very um, open um, target range for those people out there that have these scams. It's very easy to uh, attack what would have been a a one on one interaction, face to face, reading body language, sleight of hand, all that sort of stuff. In, in years mm-hmm. gone by, is now well, we'll send out a million emails and if we get a 10% hit, we're still doing <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's not somebody sitting there clicking send a million times. That's a piece of software using yeah. data that has been uh, extracted from breaches on the internet and, um, and just using it, but just sticking it into a, a, a small uh, piece of tech, uh, piece of code and uh, emails get fired out all over the place. So it's, uh, it's very dangerous. And for any, anybody who's interested, we actually have a tool uh, that can scan and uh, monitor, continually proactively monitor for breach credentials on the internet. Um, and so that's also that's a platform that Ward Keller also take advantage of. And I'd say it's about once every two to three weeks we pick up on a new detection and we're able to go and um, evaluate whether that's a real risk or not, whether it's an old account or whether it's a valid password. But we can see the usernames and passwords in plain text through this tool. They're available on the internet. They're available for purchase on the dark web. Um, and uh, there are various tools out there. The difference in the one that we have, it's called uh, ID Agent. Um, we, um, or uh, Dark Web ID Scanning, uh, we actually, um, we, once with that set in place, we will receive notifications to say a new breach has been detected. So it's a really good way of saying, well, rather than I'm going to sit here and wait for this breach to happen because I don't know if my credentials have been breached or not, this is a really good way of saying, well, it's just been flagged to me. Whether it's dangerous or not, uh, it's good to know what's out there about me. 
So there's nothing you can do about those breaches being out there. Your username and password is in the is on the dark web for everyone to see. Uh, but you can at least take steps to go and you know, stop using that password on every account you know, and, and improve your own personal and, and business security. Uh, and so that, that's what we go through with the cybersecurity training with, uh, with our, the employees of our clients is not just how to protect yourself for the business, but how to protect yourself personally as well. So just on that, just on, on, on that issue, Steve, um, I mean, passwords are just the bane of everyone's existence. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, I mean e- even today when you guys rebooted RDS, right? Uh, and and, I, and I, I tend to prefer to use uh, Firefox over, over Google. Um, and I don't even know if that's uh, <laughs> that's a personal issue, Leon. <laughs> but uh, uh, but you know, I had to remember my password, and I couldn't really remember it. And luckily, I did remember it. Uh, and so, you know, one of the great things that you see on, on your on on Google, and also with Apple, and, and you know, pretty much every other um, uh, company these days is they generate passwords for you, which no one will mm. ever remember in a billion years. How yeah. safe are those things? Um, well, there's a number of ways to answer this question. And <laughs> as you know, I'm, I'm not one to, to be called a man of few words, but I will, uh, <clears throat> I'll do it as, as succinctly as I can. Um, there, was, there was always a theory behind passwords, and it's still, we're sort of on, on in midway between these theories at the moment. There's always the theory that you change your password regularly. It has at least eight characters using three of the four character sets being uppercase, lowercase, number, and a symbol. Um, You you have your your password, say, a maximum of 90 days. If you ask an IT person, they'd say 30 days, but it's got to be security versus practicality. If uh, you change a password every 30 days, it drives everybody mad, and everybody ends up writing it down on a Post-it note Mm -hmm. uh, on the front of their monitor. If they're really (laughs) smart, they put it on the back of their monitor or under the keyboard. So Uh, we want to stop that happening. And so... The, the password generators are, are, um, tend to be good. Um, they'd certainly having complex passwords is better than having simple passwords. Um, however, the, the theory behind complex passwords has changed in the sort of recent, probably the last 12 months, where the idea of having uh, changing your password every 90 days and people get stuck in a, uh, well, that password changes every 90 days, that one changes every 30 days, that one never changes. So you end up with this, little black book i think if you're over if you're over 50 you have a little black book with all of your passwords in and guilty um, um, uh, and um and that's the worst thing you can do Uh, i was at a security conference last year for one of our partner companies uh that does all our bcdr products and uh, they actually showed a uh, um, password storage facility that was for sale on amazon and it was a notebook you know, here, write all your passwords in this notebook. And <laughs> that, that's the, 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 the worst possible way of doing it. Yes, yeah, because it's got all your usernames, your passwords, your addresses, your um, uh, your mother's maiden name, uh, which while we mention it, don't fill out those uh, those um, uh, questionnaires on Facebook of uh, you know, work out your, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a better example, but your adult adult movie name would be the yeah, uh, first or the name of your first pet plus yeah. the name of the road that you lived on uh, when you were a kid and all of a sudden you're giving away your security yeah. questions. Yeah. And that information is just being farmed everywhere. They may look different, but they're all going often going to yeah. the same place. So um, 
But on the, on the passwords, the theory now is that uh, there are password databases out there, password, well, onepassword.com, uh, Trend Micro has a very good one as well, uh, and you have one master password. So you, you have a very complex password, might be 20 characters. It can be a sentence with uh, numbers replacing letters, uh, exclamation marks, so put anything you want in there, characters that you would never normally use, like ampersand and open bracket, close bracket, all, all sorts of things. Make it as complex as you can and spend the time remembering it don't don't transmit it electronically anywhere because that record is always there. Someone gets access to your mailbox and you've emailed it to yourself because you don't, you don't want to forget it. Well, there they go. They've got your master password into your database. So you can use a password database, uh, which is a very good idea. And there's, there's lots of them out there. We can uh, we can put some on our website if, uh, if anyone would be interested. Um, uh, you can do that. The other, the other idea, the newer idea is decide on a complex password and don't change it but don't use it for more than one thing. Don't use your work password for anything else, even if you're using your work email address for it. A lot of breaches come from people using their work email address and password because they're signing up to something for work. Uh, they will use their work email address and password purely because it's easy. Yes. What they're actually doing, that website could be malicious. Yes. It yes. could be a legitimate yes. website that's yes. being compromised. So there's lots of them, and I won't I won't name the companies uh, because um, I'm, if this gets broadcast and I'm wrong, uh, mm. then uh, <laughs> it could, we could be in trouble. But um, there are lots of companies out there, lots of large companies that have had these big breaches, um, and um, once that data is out there, it's out there. Uh, but these were legitimate websites that got compromised, and they didn't know the compromise was there. And until the notifiable data breach scheme came in in February, two thousand and 18, um, possibly 19, I'll have to check that, um, then those breaches could go, could remain hidden. It was only if the media got hold of it, would it become uh, commonplace or would it become well known? Whereas now with the notifiable data breach scheme under certain and uh, an increasing amount of scenarios, a data breach would have to be declared to the federal authorities. A lack of declaring that data breach within 30 days of the breach occurring can result in extremely substantial fines. Uh, of many millions of dollars for, for businesses of a certain size. So it's very important. It, it proves that the federal government is taking cybersecurity very, very seriously. Um, and uh, and we, we just try to do our bit protecting our clients for, for our clients' sake, for our sake, and for the, the sake of the, the people who our clients communicate with. Because if one of our clients is compromised, that could actually end up compromising their clients' And what that does for reputations is is uh, is really terrible. You know, Ward Keller was involved in the situation, which we very quickly proved wasn't a breach of Ward Keller infrastructure, but was blamed on Ward Keller, was instantly blamed on Ward Keller as being the breach. And um, once that uh, that um, snowball of, of uh, blame being placed on someone starts, it's very difficult to stop. And, um, and the, the, the reputation damage that that can do is um, is incalculable. You you just don't know where it stops. You don't know what the impact of that is, uh, mm. and uh, it's very it's very difficult to determine the the value or the loss of business that could be attributed to that. And there are companies, again, this uh, security um, a conference I went to last year. There was uh, there was a company that said that it, it uh, um, recounting what happened to them. They had a large breach, and they said that after about two years, they felt that they'd 
um, recovered mostly from that breach. You think, and that was a large mm. business. That was a, mm. a financial institution. Um, and you say two years for them, that, that, and they plowed hundreds of millions of dollars into security after that. Mm. A small business can't do that. Small business can't risk that happening because they can't react in that way. It'll it'll all but wipe them out. So you know, it, it's uh, it's just very very important that people don't wait until they've had a breach before they invest in security or invest in platforms that are secure because we have people who lose everything. The first time we talk to them, they phone up and say, you've been recommended to us. We've just lost everything. Everything's been encrypted. We can't open any files. And we say, right, we can come and help you. Where are your backups? What, how have you been doing your backups? Well, we have this USB drive that we're meant to be swapping every day, but we <laughs> sort of have, we sort of haven't. Um, you know, Maria took it because um, she wanted to take Game of, Game of Thrones home with her. Um, <laughs> uh, and we, 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 we maybe forgot to plug it back in again. And we say, well, look, years ago. You, yeah, the, the options are limited. Uh, in this case, we'll have a look. And what we do then is we set about trying to recover this data, trying to get to know this client because we don't know what we're looking for to begin with. And we, uh, we turn around and if we're, you know, we, we spend a lot of engineering hours on a client that we're trying to save their business for them. And at the end of it, in that scenario, it's very unlikely that we're going to get everything back. And unless they pay the ransom, which in most cases people couldn't afford anyway, and not that we've ever recommended, we've never had a single client have to pay that ransom. We've always, a client that we've managed, we've always managed to uh, restore that data. So we've, we've been very fortunate in that way with good planning and good products. Um, but where we've had these clients that we can't recover anything for them, not only have they just lost all their data and potentially their entire business, but they've just been hit with a $5,000 bill because I've had two engineers working on it for four or five days trying to recover their data. You know, it, it is critical. They want us to work around the clock to try and recover this. And at the end, we give them, well, yes, we got you some, we didn't get you all, we didn't get any, or here we go, we, we got it. Um, on, a, on a few on many, many occasions we've been able to do it but more than occasions that i would like to remember we've not been able to do that and it's at that point the client says right get get me something that backs everything up get me something that does this properly and we say but there's nothing to back up it, mm. it's gone like, you, you, there's no point in backing up what you've got now don't panic mm. now into buying something you don't need like mm. you've got to make a decision are you going to carry on with the business are you going to you're going to wrap things up. I mean, where can you recover this data out of email? Can you get your financial data back from your accountant? How much impact is that going to have? It'll send you back weeks, maybe, maybe months if you do go and only see your accountant every quarter. Some people are only at the end of financial year, depending on how big the business is. And so it's a, it's a really heartbreaking situation to be in there to tell somebody that um, not only did they um, not get their data back, but they've basically got no future ahead of them. Um, and they owe us the money and we do try to do as many favors as we can, but we can't work for free. Mm. Uh, they owe us the money for, for attempting to get the data back, which is often ultimately unsuccessful. So we, we grew tired of that scenario many years ago and decided to, uh, pursue, uh, service products and services that would mean we were never in this position again. Uh, the amount of times we picked a phone up and someone would say, I'd hear an engineer say, Oh, so you can't open any PDF documents and you see everybody's face drop around them. And, and so right, we know what this is straight away. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Backups have worked. Even now, the newer versions of that, um, of those uh, viruses or those pieces of software, they're not technically viruses, but they, 
these actions that, that, that these pieces of code instigate um, or initiate, they, um, they actually encrypt the backups and wait while they're encrypting the backups and clients don't know that's happening. And only when they're backed up or they've encrypted two weeks worth of backups, do they then go and encrypt the live data. And so you've got no backups to go to either. Mm-hmm. And so people think they're doing the right thing, but it, it, unless they are very, very careful in the selection of the backup platform that they're using, it can still all come undone for them. Um, and, and that's where we come in with our the best best advice. We, we, we uh, resell uh, a product or a series of products by a company called Datto, which is a, a US-based company with the office, uh, main office in Sydney. And they're just opening a, just a new distribution point of, I believe it's in Melbourne. Um, and uh, we've had 100%, 100% success with uh, restoring lost data. But also, and, uh, and Leon, this has never been uh, tested in a live scenario. We have done um, test restores on a number of occasions, but we can actually run your entire environment on the Datto Cirrus device. It's called instant virtualization. So if your entire environment failed, we'll actually run your business on the backup device while we go away and restore it. Mm. More than that, if that Datto device is damaged in, uh, let's say, a, uh, a fire or it's been, you've been broken into and everything's been stolen, including all of your backups, all of that data, all of those server snapshots are stored at the Datto cloud, in, uh, in, which is uh, currently in Sydney and replicated elsewhere. And so we can actually not only restore your environment from there, but we can actually run your entire environment in the Datto cloud. So the performance would be lower, but we can keep your business going using this Datto cloud while we restore your infrastructure or buy new hardware, get your servers all restored, and then restore the live environment from the Datto cloud down onto the local environment to make sure you, you're not doubling up on work, missing anything out, or or causing uh, a month's worth of sifting through double copies of data uh, or different versions that people have been working on their local machine because they didn't trust the, uh, the server that you're running on. And so this, this Datto platform has been tested a number of times. And we, we've been able to spin entire environments up as complex as uh, Ward Keller's within about 20 minutes. Now, when you calculate the value of that to a business or, or what the, the value of the losses to a business that might be off the air for five days, it can be huge. Uh, on the data website, there's a, a, a outage cost calculator, and um, it, uh, it, it's very, I believe, very accurate in, in uh, predicting what the cost of an outage would be for a business where you put in the number of employees, the amount that they generate per day. It looks at lots, lots of financial metrics around the business and gives you a figure at the end to say, five days of an outage, this is what your loss is. Never mind reputation, this is purely financial loss. So... I don't think people realize that it's uh, so important until uh, it's too late uh, or they know somebody who's just lost everything. And that's when we start to get phone calls to say, how do we get onto this? Uh, what can you do for us? Mm. I'm just, I'm just pleased Steve gave us the short version, Leon. <laughs> I, I, I did warn you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. No, uh, look, that's uh, no, we, have, we haven't even started asking uh, or talking to me about what you wanted to talk about today, have we? Uh, we what was that again, Steve? I forgot. <laughs> um, Zoom, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, well, so, actually, the invite, the hmm? invite said you wanted to know how working remotely or all of this uh, pandemic craziness had affected my business. And, yes. Uh, but then 
what really came out in recent days is um, that we're actually talking on Zoom at the moment and there's been quite a bit of uh, negative press about Zoom over the past few days or since about March 26th. Yep. So uh, it's up to you which one you want to talk about or have you had enough? Well, look, let's, <laughs> let's talk about Zoom because, uh, you know, we're, we're using it. Pete, uh, Pete got me on it, I think. Did you, Pete? I, no, no, you didn't. No, you had me on Skype. Thank you. Yeah, and, and I'll throw another one at the mix at you, Steve. I'm a bit of a Whereby fan. I'm not sure if you're aware of Whereby, but I'm a bit of a fan of that platform. Whereby? I'm not familiar with that one, though. No. Yeah. Go on, give, give my mouth a rest. Tell me all about it. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess like a lot of these um, conferencing uh, softwares, it's, it's based in the cloud. Um, it's used a lot in the internet marketing circles and digital marketing circles. So maybe that's that's how I got onto it originally. Um, but yeah, I find it a really good platform. And because I'm pretty audio um, uh, centric as well, I need the, the audio quality to be of a, a pretty good standard. And, and it certainly produces good standard audio f- for what we do. Mm. Okay, I'll, I'll check that one out. It'll certainly be interesting. We, um, I've been talking to Leon about this a little bit today, but um, we're a, a Microsoft reseller um, and uh, we do a lot of Office 365 sales, more, now more than ever. Um, and the uh, part of um, the various licensing levels within, uh, within the Office 365 suite, um, there, there comes Microsoft Teams. And uh, that's what we're using at the moment. So with all my staff, we have a meeting every morning from 8 till around about 8.15 where every member of staff gets on to this one Teams meeting. Um, and so far for us, it's been absolutely flawless. Um, I know Zoom was very popular uh, sort of coming into this uh, pandemic period and working from home period. Uh, and uh, as we discussed briefly just before we uh, or when we started uh, talking tonight was... Um, the Zoom has kind of been the the household name for a while. If you're talking web conferencing, Zoom is uh, it's just become the the, the the standard, the industry standard, what everybody aims to have uh, in their business to have good web meetings. Um, go back uh, a little bit earlier, and it was Skype. Um, and and even uh, if people are going to talk on WhatsApp, they still say let's FaceTime. So there's a lot of uh, these key products that have uh, evolved over. Over a long time, of course, uh, um, Microsoft has evolved with it, and uh, they originally had Skype, and they're phasing Skype out in favour of Teams, Microsoft Teams. And um, I have to say, it's uh, it's been a real uh, a real lifesaver for for my business moving into the work from home platform. That we are uh, sharing documents, linking to SharePoint, uh, calendars sync with uh, Outlook. It's, just, it's complete integration across the, the, the whole um, 365 platform and it's, it's really working exceptionally well for us. It's very simple to use and uh, we're, we're just now using that instead of calling each other. We have um, you know, traditional desk phones on our, on our desks. We, we have a hosted phone system so when, when we moved to home, everybody just picked up their, their laptop and their phone handset, went home, plugged it in and we're all extensions on the same, hand, on the same phone system. So. We were we were ready to go mobile um, when it came to this. Uh, fortunately, we didn't have to spend any time working on our own environment. We were ready to, to move out and go mobile wherever we needed to be. Um, and, uh, and and so we found that Zoom has been uh, a real lifesaver. 
what Zoom. what probably has been uh, sorry um, sorry I meant Teams. Um, <laughs> is that one clear? Um, what what has been interesting though about working from home is that while we're an IT company and we're all good at using tools and we know what they do and we can work out in probably a bit quicker than uh, average user. Um, what's been interesting is the changing discipline of uh, of working from home, the way that we use these tools. Uh, we have group chats where I had to, after a couple of days, I had to say to everybody, look, they're, they're, these pop-ups are coming up all over the place. I can't work <laughs> because I've just got ding, 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 ding constantly because someone says, hey, does anybody know what's going on with this particular job? And the next person says, uh, no, not me. Next one says, no, I didn't touch that. Next <laughs> one says the same thing. And then someone says, yes, I did that. And then you get the reply, okay, thanks. <laughs> These are all ding, 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 ding. So I said, can we just limit it to when a question is asked of a group that if you don't know the answer or your answer is not what the person needs, then don't answer. All we want is positive, constructive answers. Uh, yes, you can have guesses. You can try and help out, but let's not keep it. Let's not say no. It, it's not helpful. It's not constructive. Uh, and the other one is let's all assume that we've all got good manners. We all know each other. So let's not bother with the, okay, thanks. Okie dokie, well done. You know, just, let's just keep it to a minimum. And that's made API? a big difference. Of what, sorry? API. API, uh, the acronym. I, I know API, but I think probably in a different sense. Than yeah. No, so I, I, I learned this off one of our favorite uh, pizza, yours and mine, Sam Harris, the other day. He was talking to the founder of WordPress and, um, and, uh, and the guy was speaking on similar lines to what you were just talking about there, Steve, and he said they have a, a phrase, they have an acronym that they use called API, Assume Positive Intent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so <laughs> something you can uh, use with your uh, your uh, work is I like it. <laughs> that, that would actually be good to uh, apply to everything um, that, that uh, I think everybody does because we mm. uh, you yeah, know we see a lot of uh, what IT and stressful situations and maybe a computer that's not working brings out in people is probably the worst. And uh, we get uh, quite a few people. We can have the best relationship with a client, but if it's not working on a Monday morning when they oh, want yes. to sit down and it's always yes. when they've got that critical meeting to go yes. into. Yes. Um, what we get is a very angry person. And we yes. get to, since you touched my machine yesterday, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even if yesterday yeah. was Sunday, um, yeah. we haven't actually seen you since for six months. It, yeah. It's still our fault. Yeah. Um, and then they say, well, the engineer just did whatever they wanted. You know, I, I, they didn't even tell me what they were doing. And you know, yeah, that, that didn't happen. I'm not going to say that to you, but it didn't <laughs> Engineers are busy enough. They don't, they don't sit down and randomly think of things that can just stuff up your day. So we're here to solve problems, not create them. So I, I like that API. I'm going to spread that. It's going to go well with the rule I made in the business that the word problem is not allowed. And that's right. purely because, and it, it's not, not come from any other, uh, you know, uh, profound sounding meme that's on the internet. It's just purely um, when engineers come to me and say, Steve, we've got a problem. Yeah, okay, what's what, what's going on? Well, we've got this user and they haven't been able to access Outlook for, and, and, right, so what we've got is a job. 
Yeah, we're, we're problem solvers. This is, you're telling me we've got a problem. We've actually, we do, man. don't sound cliche, but we've got an opportunity here to fix mm. this. To, you know, so it's not a problem. It's what you do for a living. You know, it's, uh, mm. So, uh, and I'm sure you can apply that to all walks of life. You know, if a doctor walked up to a patient and said, look, we've got a problem. <laughs> You're not well. Yeah. You know, well, I know that. That's why I'm talking to a doctor. So, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, just trying to apply that positivity, and uh, which is probably helpful in times like like these where there's a, a little bit more stress around than usual. So, tell me something. Mm. I mean, obviously, we've you know we're into week. What's it? Week two? I can't. I've lost track now. Pete, is mm. it week two or week three of COVID nineteen? I'm going to say home? week three, but it's yeah. I'll, I'll I'll get back to that, but I'll say right. it's week three. Uh, Steve, can you clarify? Is it two or three? I think it's three. Uh, yeah. we've, we've been working at home for two. But, right. uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I think it was all getting pretty serious around sort of three weeks ago. Right. So, so, so here you are into week two of people working from home. How have Darwin businesses or at least your clients adapted to this new environment? Um, remarkably well, I think. Um, there's been a few that have had a few uh, a few teething issues. Uh, I've even had my own staff, uh, one today, ask me how long do I think he did he did he did prefix this with I know you don't have a silver ball or crystal ball rather, um, but how long do you think we'll be working from home? Because he's just he's, he's finding it difficult. Um, and uh, and I said to him you've got to get out. You've got to go for a walk. He, he lives in a, a unit, so I said you've got to um, you know keep the social distancing rules uh, very strict, but get out, have a walk, sit in the park for a, just five minutes, um, just get some fresh air, change the scenery. Um, so I think individuals will, will deal with it in, a different, in different ways. Businesses have, have, um, have been remarkably understanding with us uh, because we, we sent out an email, um, I think about two weeks ago, to all of our clients to say, look, you know, the, these, these are um, very busy times for us because we find ourselves watching the news just like everybody else and all of a sudden they say right everyone's going to go work from home and we go oh hang on we're going to be needed for that we're going to we're going to be the ones that are going to be setting these people up to work from home in most cases and so we've had this enormous influx of work i uh, i estimated when i was talking to someone a few well, a week or two ago was i think we've had around a 40 to 45 percent increase in work um, but a lot of our clients are on managed services contracts, so it doesn't translate to an increase in billing. Uh, it's purely that we're, we're working harder for the same amount of money, uh, which is fine. That's what we're here for. And that, those, those contracts are you know, swings and roundabouts. Sometimes we, we win in a month and sometimes we, we don't. But it, over, over the long term, it uh, hopefully works out for everyone. Um, what we, uh, and so we sent this email out and said, please bear with us. We're prioritizing these remote working jobs over less important jobs and we had to use a bit of uh, um, uh, out of our normal um, uh, evaluation process of what's uh, an important or what's a severe job versus one that can be fixed within uh, 24 hours or 48 hours and uh, and so we had to say right well okay this is not the be all and end all but it is stopping them from working because they've gone home and some users picked up their computers went home got their phone does and says it's not working we go, right, we, well, we could have done with um, setting that machine up before you took it home uh, because you know, in the office we could have done what we needed to do to it and then take it home. So we had a few like that. But on the whole, we've had some really um, constructive 
uh, feedback from clients, some very good, some really excellent feedback. I've more good feedback in the past three weeks than I think I've had in the whole uh, eight years of running the business. Um, but it, I think it helped by just communicating with the clients to say, we're aware that you're struggling. We're doing our best to um, to to make sure we try and get everybody working from home. You know, no one client is more important than another. We, of course, favoured our contract clients over the non-contract clients. We have to do that. That's the privilege that our contract clients pay for. Mm. But even the non-contract clients got favoured over the contract clients where it was a, a remote working job. We have to keep those businesses operating. So the, the uh, engineers were under a lot of pressure to perform very quickly and very accurately, probably more than they've ever been in their whole lives. And um, there's been a, a couple of uh, slip-ups where we've had to go back to jobs a couple of times, which I think is uh, I, I see as acceptable. Uh, not that I get excited about that, but I, I think given the circumstances, it's acceptable. Um, and, uh, and everyone's been very understanding. And even, uh, Leon, I think I've had a, an email and a voicemail from you commending the work of our engineers during this time. Um, and so thank you for that, because that really goes a long way. We share that internally. Uh, everybody good feedback that we get. Uh, we share that internally. And then um, for the first time ever, uh, at the start of last week, I had to send a group feedback email because um, there was too many emails to send to address each person on each email. So I said, look, got four people to talk about in this email just to, uh, to to give the good feedback about these people. So we really, it's really bolstered the uh, the engineers' enthusiasm and, and the admin staff as well. It's a, it's a team effort. Um, but I, I think um, businesses have adapted very well uh, because in most cases they're confident either that they've got the right tools or they've at least got the right people helping them to use those tools. Um, and um, I think we're about to go into a very interesting period with the uh, the business improvement grants that uh, you know, has, has probably has been uh, absolutely forefront of everything I've done over the past week to try and uh, make sure we were there as a supplier and to try and understand what, in fact, we're allowed to supply. Um, the, the rules seem very black and white, and it turns out they're very, very there are a lot of shades of grey. Um, <laughs> And I'm certainly not uh, not blaming uh, any government department or individual for this. I think it's been a very difficult time for them to try and um, try to um, think of every scenario, every different type of client, every different type of service or industry that will either benefit or suffer. And there's the obvious ones that have been shut down, the, uh, the hospitality and, and, and the like, which I sympathize greatly with. And I'm glad that they're getting some lifelines to keep them going because some of them are our clients and we need them to come back. Um, and, uh, and some of them are friends as well, and I really want to see them come back. Uh, but um, we were getting a distinct feeling that the IT industry was being left, a bit, I suppose, a bit like the legal industry and maybe the accounting industry, that there is an assumption that, Work will just go on as normal. In fact, you'll probably get more work. Uh, if all the class actions continue against Zoom, you possibly will get more work, Leon. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, we, we've had some really good news today. I've been talking to uh, my local member, uh, Kate Warden. She's been, she's been excellent in trying to coordinate the, uh, the answers that we need. Uh, we're an approved supplier uh, on the business and home improvement scheme, which was a bit unexpected, but nevertheless welcome. Um, we uh, and then got some clarity today around what we're allowed to provide and so we immediately sent out an email or a communication to all of our clients to say look this is we finally got some some solid answers that we feel we can communicate to you here's some ideas of what we feel that would be successful bearing in mind we haven't actually made an application so we don't know if we're giving good advice 
but it's all based on the likelihood that it will be accepted and, and money will be awarded to uh, to get that work done. And um, and so we've had some really good responses. And I, in fact, I've only just joined Instagram in the, the last sort of week, I think. And uh, I put a post up today and I got uh, phone calls less than 10 minutes later saying, I didn't know we could spend it on IT. That's what I've been trying to get. So how does, uh, it, so, a, so how does it work? Like the business improvement scheme, how much is that? Uh, that's ten thousand dollars, right? And if you put in ten thousand of your own, right, then the government put in another ten thousand. So they're effectively saying it's twenty thousand dollars. They're up for grabs as long as you contribute some. Now I'll be careful what I say in, in this because um, I don't want to commit. I don't want anybody to take this as gospel because there are lots of grey areas. I will only repeat what I've been told, and in some cases it has been contradicting. So I've, I've sifted through what I believe is. Uh, most or maybe hopefully all of the information that is available and the the general feeling is that the government uh, department would favor the department of business would favor the uh, a $30,000 project over a $10,000 project because it simply feeds more into the economy more money changing hands better economy um, the ten, that doesn't mean to say that $10,000 projects are not going to go ahead but the uh, $30,000 are certainly seen as more attractive uh, and one of the uh, the big points of confusion was that very clearly the, uh, the the documentation says that it must be a permanent improvement to the building or land, and that seems to be the very consistent thing running right the way through. So I I went along and said, well, we we thought that business improvement in this day and age, particularly these days, would include technology. But surely it must. I mean, that's what businesses are required and requiring now. No one's doing a shop fit out for $10,000 because you can't do a shop fit out for $10,000 typically. No one's doing it for $30,000 if they've got to put ten in of their own money when they're putting it towards something that they don't actually need, but they want to take advantage of the grant. So I, I just I don't think this has hit the mark with what businesses actually need. Um, and that was that was listened to. I don't know how much how many people listened to it or how much it was listened to, but we'd start to get some answers. Uh, and uh, it was described to me uh, in, a, um, in a number of ways. One of them was if you turn a building upside down, if it, if whatever falls out, you've got to love the public um, servants, don't you? <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, obviously, we wow. shouldn't take that literally because all the people would fall out and then we wouldn't need uh, yeah. any technology. So, um, but what I think we're, what, they're, what they're saying is that if it's fixed to the building, it's okay. That's very difficult for IT because we've spent the past five plus years making sure businesses are not dependent on a building mm. and moving to cloud and away from server infrastructure. And what the department said was, you know, a new server because that's in the building. And we said, well, look, if we move a business from one office to another, we take the servers with us because that's where all the information, all the data is. So a server's not fixed, neither is a network switch. And these days, neither are phone systems. It, 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 there's literally nothing that we couldn't up and leave with uh, if we had to from any site. Mm. And so, and, and I think that the, the difficulty is that we're dealing with a team that gets told that when the economy needs stimulate, stim, stimulating, you need to build something. You need to paint something or plaster it or um, it, it has to be building because building fuels the economy. Now, I'm no economist. I, I don't, I don't, I can't really comment any further on that. But what I can tell you is that that's not what people are interested in right now. 
um, for one reason, because um, all the shops are closed. So why renovate now when you don't know what the future is going to hold? Um, for those people who are going to renovate their shops, good on you. I think it's great that you're going to invest and, and find, a, find a good trade to invest in. Um, but from our perspective, we want to make sure that we, we're there giving our clients what they need out of this and not, um, not just spending on something that they don't need. Okay, it, it, it gives the money into the economy, but ultimately it doesn't benefit the business in the long term. And it's not a business improvement. It's a business step up slightly, step sideways because no one's using it at the moment. Um, and uh, and so we've got some clarity now around what we can offer and we've sent that out to our clients. And we're, we're suggesting one, one, of the, um, one of the areas that the government is very attracted to is labor. So if we buy a computer, we buy it for X amount of dollars, we put a small margin on it and we sell it. Majority of those funds go to a supplier either down south or overseas. And so the territory government wants those funds to stay in the territory. Now, a good way to do that is through um, labor. Mm. And so what we're trying to do is um, it's a very fine balance and it's a case by case basis. But where we're, <coughs> excuse me, where we're quoting on this, uh, these projects, we're trying to put the most that we can into labor to deliver the best, the absolute best possible solution because under normal circumstances, we sell a piece of equipment and labor is the subjective bit where the client will say, that's good. Can you sharpen your pencil a little bit on the labor? And we are oh, go on, we can do it, but we'll have to remove this. We'll have to remove that wheel. And you, and you start to lessen the value of the solution. Um, but it's what people can afford. So you have to adapt. Now we're in a situation where we're saying, look, well, actually, we can't, we can't sell you the desktops and the laptops because they'd fall out of the building if you tip it up. What we can sell you is a small amount of hardware and the labor to make the most of what that's, that platform can deliver. So let's spend it on training and um, full implementation and guidance and mm-hmm. uh, migrating people to teams and, and, and you know, taking the people through that entire process where we've got the luxury of using the maximum possible amount of labor that we can get our hands on and somebody else is paying for it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, in turn, as my email said this afternoon to all of our clients that, and I said earlier on, uh, is if we, if we get that money in, the first thing I'm going to do is continue paying my staff 100% so that they continue to uh, use uh, local businesses with a shop front uh, to, to buy their lunch and to get their coffees delivered and um, you know, support local business as much as they can. I think in times now more than ever, as, it, as it's been in the news very a lot very recently, is that if it's got a front door, then that's where you spend your money. You know, I, I love that promotion. I think that's, that's really great. Very simple, very simple um, rule to follow. And that's what we will do. If, if we do well out of this, we will you know, pass it forward and then try and benefit as many local businesses as we can and use subcontractors and um, try and feed those businesses. So um, I'll try and get myself into trouble. So I need legal advice. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the business improvement scheme is basically uh, up to up to ten thousand a dollar for dollar. Correct? Uh, no, up to ten thousand for nothing. So the business can uh, can just get ten thousand dollars if it's deemed a business improvement that is eligible. So the, uh, the so there's ten- no commitment. Right, so the territory government government is giving you ten thousand dollars to yep. right. Okay, 
Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. And and the uh, and and the home improvement scheme. That's a, a you've got to put in a thousand and you get four. I think isn't it or two thousand two thousand and you get six. Uh, you you put two thousand in, you get six. Yep. If you put one thousand in, you get four. Four, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That one. We I are actually trying it. to do some uh, work to utilize that. So. Uh, yeah, we're going for the uh, the six to complement the two that we put in. Right. I'm sure we'll have to spend a bit more on top of that. But uh, And you're saying that... It's the right place. Right. And so I think that they were envisaging that would be home improvement as in doing things around the house. But you're saying that you mm-hmm. could uh, you could uh, use that potentially for IT equipment in the house. Oh, no. No, no. The home improvement scheme is something different. No. Okay. Um, it was actually a surprise to us that we were we were on. It was a client uh, who told me that they'd found us on the home improvement scheme. Oh, right. <laughs> no, that's uh, may have been a typo, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's very nice. Um, but what about? Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Not... Let's let's go back to this turn the building upside down analogy. So if you like putting cabling and all that sort of stuff for, uh, uh, you know, to to connect up your your home computers and everything, that's not included as a home improvement. Well, you're not a business, so um, I don't, don't know. We be. haven't been focused on the home improvement. Our clients are not typically home users unless they work for the client that we look after. Right. right. So we we tend to not try to attract home users yeah. because, um, and I'll, I'll be very um, polite. Um, home users tend to be very specific about where they want their photos <laughs> and where they want their music and uh, where they want the NBN box that doesn't show any uh, conduit. Uh, oh, yes. And um, and are, are very typically uh, not as uh, uh, forthcoming with funds when it comes to invoicing. So we're not a home uh, home IT supplier. Um, the, the, we have a we have a sort of a pseudo partnership with Leading Edge Computing uh, on the Homemaker Village, where they recommend us for business clients that go in there, and we recommend them for home uh, home users. They're, they're very they're very very good engineers in their in in their little bit that they you know, they limit themselves to um, for very good reason because businesses can sometimes not be the easiest to deal with either. So we we work together on that, um, and uh, yeah. So the home improvement side we're not really focused on. The, the $10,000 for small projects, $30,000 for larger projects, and then we can't forget the not-for-profits as well. Um, the immediate works grant, uh, there's been um, a fairly big purse opened up to the not-for-profits as well uh, with a minimum spend of 5000 So we've got quite a few uh, not-for-profit organizations looking at how they can um, make the most of this as well. So how does that one work? time for them. Yeah, how does um, that work? So it's very, very similar to the business improvement grant. There are a couple of differences in there, and I'm, yeah. I'm actually largely relying on our not-for-profit organisations. Uh, say, for example, we look after Darwin Festival, and um, you know, I, I would, I would, nothing's been made official, but I would be surprised if the festival went anywhere even close to going ahead this year. You know, yeah. I'm fingers crossed that it does. We love the festival. We're a sponsor of the festival as well. But I think we have to be realistic. That's going to be a very difficult um, feat to pull mm. off. So um, you know, those sorts of organizations have permanent employees and they um, they need to maintain uh, cash flow as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and so that uh, um, immediate works grant is um, hopefully available to them. Hopefully it gets approved. Um, we're, different people have different interpretations of what it's for. Uh, some are aiming very low, some are aiming very high and hoping to either, uh, you know, be told that we need to cut things out 
or, or may, maybe, hopefully not told that we've failed in, in the application completely. I don't know if you have time for a second application. I believe the uptake is going to be very big and the application's open on Monday. So let me, let me just... Monday, so let even me, though it's a public holiday, they're open then. Right. So let me just get back to you, uh, get, get, take you back to the business improvement. Business improvement, the Territory Government will give you $10,000 for a small project, but if mm -hmm. it's a large project, they will fund, what, up to 30000 did you say? They will give you 20000 if you put 10 of your own oh, in, I so see. project right. okay. size of 30000 in okay, total. Okay, 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 right. So, right. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, on top of that, yeah. So this is this is uh, you know, been my week so far, or been my week this all this week is the um, Northern Territory Primary Healthcare Network NTPHN, and we're the first to come out and say, if you're a medical practice and you're a member of NTPHN, and I, I this is not my area of special uh, specialization at all, um, but if you are a member of the NTPHN, which I think incorporates all of the medical practices in the territory, if not close to them, uh, too close to all of them then there is an uncapped amount per medical practice to improve the business, enabling the, the doctors, the medical staff to work remotely, to do remote consultations. Now, I had I'd worked on the basis that it would be uh, doctors, uh, nurses that working from home, consulting with patients who are also at home. Um, excuse me one second. Um, what it was, it was pointed out by one of my staff today that uh, they it actually applies in the, in the long term because once everybody comes back to work, there are still patients who can't get into a surgery or a GP clinic very easily. Uh, and so big, having the facilities uh, with the likes of Zoom, Teams, or maybe Whereby uh, is that these doctors, these GPs, will be able to use this, this telehealth fund and these telehealth systems that are being rolled out to, on a permanent basis, be able to um, administer uh, their, their services while they're in the office and the, and the patient, or the, uh, mm -hmm. I think it's referred to, the patient is remote. So, um, so it's, all, it's all a lot of long-term. People talk about how this change that we've gone through uh, is going to change life forever. I think yep. it's absolutely going to change business forever in, yep. uh, in a number of ways and, and probably largely for the better, I would say. We, we've... Um, regardless, I suppose the people who argue with me this, but I think the world has had um, a reasonably luxurious time uh, in, in recent years. I mean, I know there's, there's always things going on in the world that are not nice, but general quality of life in this country in particular um, and in the UK and uh, I know we've had Brexit and all that, but I'm not going to go <laughs> and touch it, Brexit at all. But, but on the whole, for a vast majority, I think... Um, life is um, reasonably good. Now, I, I know, I know there's, there's lots and lots of exceptions out there, but I think on the whole, it's been good. And um, this, this, what's happening now has really forced people into a corner and it's really starting to show um, their human nature and the way people react when they haven't got the luxuries, the easy things we take for granted. We can just go to the shops and buy as much as we want. Um, a toilet roll. You know, maybe not to not toilet roll, no. no. <laughs> um, Someone already um, got more than they want. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but under normal circumstances, we live in a, a, a country where we can jump in the car and go and buy what we want down at the supermarket. Now, I, 
matters. Like I've said, I know there are lots of exceptions. There are people who, who do things hard all the time, not just during a pandemic. And, and I would hope that this sort of brings them to the forefront as well. I know I'm sort of getting off topic uh, here, but um, but I, I, what I, um, from what I'm witnessing, I'm thinking people largely are liking the challenge that's put in front of them. Not all the bad bits that are going on. Obviously, the people are losing their lives and countries are, are being uh, pretty much devastated. But the challenge that's been put in front of everybody, uh, and it's everybody. That, that's the odd thing is, um, having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you know, when you've got a crisis in work, and it's all you can think about, it's it, it becomes your highest priority, and only a handful of people know about it, and you worry that how are they going to react? How am I going to deal with them? I've got to plan my day out. And then you bump into someone who says, hey, how are you going? And you say, oh, look, you know, yeah, fine, fine. And, they, and they're fine. That person is genuinely fine because they have no idea what crisis you're dealing with. Right now, everybody knows the crisis everybody else is dealing with. And so it's a really odd thing. Because even if, even if Darwin's dealing with a cyclone, people in Sydney may, maybe don't even know it's happening. If Australia is yeah. dealing with a, uh, a crisis, my parents in the UK probably don't know about it. Um, but now it's like, well, everyone's got the same news. Everybody's got the same information. Everyone's being fed the same information and has the same concerns and worries and stresses as everybody else. And, and so leading into all of this, as, as we were sort of planning, like, how is this business going to handle this? I think we can actually go into this knowing that whatever happens, we're going to be okay. We have to be okay because um, we are, and I've heard this a million times this week as well, but we're all in this together. If my business was the only business failing in a healthy economy, I would be not sleeping. I'd be pulling my hair out. I'd be thinking, what have I done wrong? How am I going to tell the staff? And, and you know, then you're in administration and, and things are going really bad for you. In, in this environment, you say, well, this is actually our chance to get really bad, knowing that we're not being blamed for and we're not the only one. And people will understand if we're a bit slow paying, um, you know, and when we differ from our normal uh, payment strategies or our normal service delivery, we've all of a sudden been giving this big blanketing excuse to not do so well. And it's it's quite a, a strange um, a strange position to be in. Um, from, from a service delivery point of view, it's a very mm. strange position to be in where you stop up and everyone says, it's all right, you're doing fantastic. <laughs> what? <laughs> so... Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's certainly very interesting, and uh, we've been so busy. It's it's not really given us time to sit back and think about where we are and where we're going. But what we do know as of today is that Monday applications start for these business improvement grants, and I think there's, there's, uh, you know, the, the government's going to be a very busy department for a while. So, um, but I think I can't go any further before I say I think you know, some of the, um, the things. I think there's a lot of criticism for the federal and local government, but I. I think I was one of the first, and I still say this, even though the trouble I've had through the past week in getting a straight answer, I still believe that the government has come out doing the best that they can possibly do in a situation that no one's ever had to deal with before. And every country's dealing with it differently. We're all doing good things or making mistakes. But I think uh, um, I'm not a political, uh, politically motivated sort of person. Um, I won't name parties or people, but I think that it's, it's been a really nice change in politics to see decisions being made, agreements being made between the parties and just saying, let's go forward and let's help out. And, uh, you know, I think uh, just for once not seeing the ritual uh, bombardment of arguments and negativity that comes out of politics in general, 
it's been a really refreshing change and seeing how local federal government and business is working together is uh, it's something you'd hope would stick around for a while um, even afterwards it's going to take a while to recover from this let's hope that this this sticks around so again there's my short answer i've forgotten the question <laughs> long may it last anyway these uh, mm. government and oppositions working together we'll, we'll see how mm. long it sticks once things smooth off a bit well Steve, uh, it's been great. I was actually going to ask you a question, but I'm too scared because I don't know how long it will take. You know, one of the strategies, I'll, I'll finish with this, one of the strategies that we have in the meeting room, and I, I thought of this um, mainly to keep myself in check, is we have a, a stay on topic buzzer. Um, because and it's pretty self-explanatory really but uh, yeah, anybody can without warning link forward and press the buzzer and it's time to say right yes we've gone way off let's nice. get back on target and finish this meeting within the allotted time so well I'm yes, going to I'm, I'm going to I'm going to stick my neck out here because I, I, I was just listening to you talk and I was thinking to myself <laughs> wouldn't it have been great to be a fly on the wall uh with you know, in, in Steve's first date with Lisa, <laughs> <laughs> would you like me to tell you? About this? <laughs> I, I do actually have a question, as I generally do. Okay, <laughs> oh, nice, Steve. Something, something's been bugging me for about an hour now. Okay. <laughs> And I wanted to get past it, but I just can't. Okay. What did you wear to the interview when you needed to go and buy trousers? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually think I wore shorts and a T-shirt Love and it. said to the owner of CSG who was interviewing me, um, I only flew in yesterday. I only brought shorts and T-shirt with me because Darwin's hot. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure I walked in. And ironically, if somebody walked into one of my, one of my interviews now with shorts and T-shirt, the interview does not last two and a half hours, I can tell you yeah. that. So I think I was very lucky that uh, I had a good excuse for not wearing trousers. So. It's a wonderfully <laughs> Darwin story because I think you probably could still get away with it with some businesses these days. Oh. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, Steve, uh, I haven't given you a shout out, but you know we are very appreciative of the work that you do for Ward Keller, uh, One IT Services, uh, may I say. Um, and it's been a pleasure to have you on. You have certainly given us a heck of a lot of information, and I suspect a lot of our listeners uh, that do listen all the way through, which they, which we, I know there's quite a few of them that do, um, will definitely, especially uh, towards the end, just in relation to the government grants, I think that's going to certainly prick up and cause them to take some attention, don't you think, Pete? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we were aware of the home improvement scheme, but certainly uh, someone did mention to me the other day about the, the um, not-for-profit stuff, but I didn't really understand what they were getting at. But it sounds like there's lots of avenues for people to uh, access funds for various things. So uh, yeah. they can contact uh, and, us. And it's been delivered by the narrator of uh, Thomas the Tank Engine. So, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Hasn't it? <laughs> uh, it's been great, Steve. So it's always good to get uh, people we know on the podcast um, 
as well as, as, well as people we don't, because, uh, you know, I've learned a lot about you and your background today, which I didn't know. Uh, and, uh, and that's always gratifying. So thank you very much for coming on. Well, that, that, you're welcome, you're welcome. And the reason I haven't told you all this in the past is that we've only ever really had one-hour meetings in the past. <laughs> <laughs> all right, wonderful. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Leon. Thanks, Peter. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.